like the wise men. This morning I'm speaking from the book of Matthew chapter 2. Now in the days when Jesus was born in Judea during the reign of Herod the king. About that time some wise men from eastern lands. They were not wise men because they came from an eastern land. But they were wise men because they studied the stars. And this is the first Gentile contact that the Lord Jesus had with Gentile people. And so, there's, it's so profound that the other appearances by the angels and the choirs were to Christians. But this is the first appearance of God's revelation to somebody who is outside the Christian faith. And I think that's important for us to understand. Because Christmas is not exclusively for Christians. As many of us misunderstand. The message of Christmas now goes beyond the Christian religion, if you want to call it. And for the first time, God is choosing to reveal himself to a group of people who are most likely, they say, from Persia. They had studied the stars. And they understood the prophetic word that sometime about this time, a star would appear and would direct them to the Jewish Messiah. So I don't know, you could be here in this church quite by accident, quite by invitation, but with God, there are no accidents. You know, it's, it's amazing how God orchestrates the events of life. A couple of days ago, we had a student who had fractured a leg. And so we couldn't attend to it because we had other commitments. And so we assigned that responsibility to another student who is here. And she went took the student to the doctor and went the next day and took the student to the doctor again. Now, not everybody is willing to do that. Some are willing to do it one-off. Others are too busy with their own lives. And then, in the course of a conversation, they discovered that the mother-in-law of the girl who went from here knew the mother of the young girl who was taken to hospital because they studied in the same school together. Wow. In a country of 24 million people, God can put the dots together. If you and I are only willing to get stretched in the spiritual journey of life. It's not complex. So these wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem. 
and asked, where is the newborn king of the Jews? For we saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. They were outside the Christian faith and yet they knew within their hearts that a religious event was taking place in human history and they wanted to be part of it. That's the Christmas experience. Christmas experience is more than shopping at the Glen or Chadston, depending on your choice of clothing. I was at Glen Waverley, not by choice yesterday. And I saw a couple of miserable looking husbands sitting on chairs and the look on their face told me, pure misery. And I went up to one of them and said, Sir, I understand the feeling. For us men, we know exactly what we want, where we want, where we can get it from. We're in there, we're out of there. In about 45 minutes, it's all done, dusted for five years. But from the other side, trying to be very positive, there always seems that one more thing that still has to be done. Thank God Christmas is only once a year. The wise men received an instruction when they saw the star in the sky and immediately embarked on the journey to discover the promised savior. You see, the title of my message is, what are you searching for? We are all searching for something in different ways. Some of us are searching for hope. Some of us are searching for joy. Some of us are hoping for peace. And in the midst of all that confusion that was happening in Jerusalem at the time, a star appeared. When the time was fulfilled, Jesus would empty himself of his glory and come down to earth to become like one of us so he can identify with human sin and bring us the redemption we so desperately seek for. So Christmas is not just for Christians. If you're from a non-Christian background too, God wants to reveal himself to you. He is the promised one. A research shows me that there are 3,000 plus religious philosophies in this world. 3,000 plus and they are all searching for the promised one. But the only promise that can be fulfilled, that guarantees and secures our salvation, not just in this life, but in the afterlife, is in and through the person of Jesus. They had a clear, concise, articulated vision. And as soon as the star appeared, they dropped everything they had to do and said, we need to go and look for this promised one. The journey, they say, would have taken about four months, a thousand miles approximately. 
And yet, they continued to press on and press through and didn't fall by the wayside. Now, in my journey spiritually, I've seen a lot of people get off the star, get off the blocks, and you know, they say, I'm in it, God, I'm in it for the long haul. And six years later, you look around, you wonder where they are. They gave up too soon. Let me tell you a second truth. Don't ever believe that the Christian life is easy. It isn't. There are difficulties. There are struggles. There are challenges. And you need the grace of God and the strength of God and the direction of the Holy Spirit to drive you through those hard times. A thousand miles. Right through the desert. Facing dangers. Internal challenges, external obstructions. And yet they continue to pursue because they believed in their heart that God had a destiny for them and they would not let anything stand in the way of that. Another truth we learn is this, that the, they say there were three because of the three gifts. We don't know. So if when God doesn't reveal something, we don't try to assume. That's the safest theological expression to work off. If God has chosen to remain silent on the subject in the Bible, it's for a good purpose. So don't work on assumptions and don't communicate assumptions to others because you can become a stumbling block. There were three of them, let's say, but they worked together in the context of a corporate culture to bring a corporate vision and destiny to pass. Because the guiding influence, I, I, I was meditating on this and said, oh my God, how did these three work together? Jesus understood the difficulty of working together. You know, a New Testament key word in the Bible is the word together. Not awesome. Together. Jesus understood the difficulty of getting Two people to work together. So he said, if two or three of you work together or agree together. But when you understand the purpose of the church and why it exists, you, you, you seek to function, you stop trying to function as an individual. You, you don't lose your identity, but you work together in the context of a corporate culture so that you can accomplish more together. We can do more together than we can do by ourselves. That's reality. Oh, but you know, we live in a very uh, individualistic culture. I know that because I know you. Togetherness. Difference is designed by God to add value to the church. And we need to recognize that. They work together through their challenges. When you work in isolation, you are vulnerable to defeat emotionally. God sets the solitary in families, says Isaiah 60. And the church is designed 
as a family and we don't get to choose our brothers and our sisters. We may scratch each other once in a while and bite each other once in a while, but we are still family. You like that? It's like marriage. Love and marriage, they go together like the horse and carriage. You can't have one without the other. That's what Al Bundy said, whoever Al Bundy was. Some of you from my vintage know what I'm talking about. As the world gets smaller, it limits our ability to do anything significantly apart from each other. That's true. You receive your vision from God, but you need other people both over you and under you to bring that vision to pass. We like the over part, we like the under part, sometimes we don't like any part. Well, I had a guy come, come and tell me long ago, you, you know, pastor, I have a lot of leadership potential. I'm glad he was looking in the mirror every day. Servanthood. If you have great leadership potential, the one way to tap into that potential and allow God to use you is to do what Jesus did. Take a towel, wrap it around your waist and bend down a bit and wash the feet of somebody you might dislike. Servanthood. You might be a leader in the church of some sort, but you never stop being a servant. I'm reminded of Joshua. Joshua had the mantle of authority thrust on him. He didn't really want it, but God had to work through somebody and there was only Joshua. And so God told Moses, you lay your hands on him. There was a transference of anointing and a transference of authority. And then in Joshua chapter 1, God says, Joshua, the Moses of servant, uh, uh, servant Moses, you never stop being a servant. And that's humbling. And that's demeaning in a culture that understood what servanthood is. In other words, when you are a servant, you have no rights, only responsibilities. In this country, we have all the rights. We are fighting for rights, gay rights, gray rights, uh, every right. And, and, and what happens is this, in the woke culture, this society is a woke society, Victoria has woke culture, we, we, we bring that stuff into the church. I'm willing to serve, but I determine where I'm positioned. Jesus was born in a stable that was dirty, dusty, and smelly. As the son of God, he could have been in a palace, but he chose not to because he modeled servanthood from the day he was born. And so the wise men, they went to Jerusalem, to the palace of Herod. So sometimes in our search spiritually, we go to the wrong place. We go and worship idols. And we assume that there is some blessing that will come upon our lives when we do that. But we only work off we know and God redirects their path to where the real Jesus was. God didn't condemn them for going 
to Jerusalem. Someone asked you. I'm reminded of the book of Acts chapter 17 when Paul was in a place called Mars Hill on Athens. There was a statue there to the unknown God. Everybody worships something. And then Paul looks at that statue and he didn't rebuke the people for putting the statue up. He said, this unknown God, I now declare unto you in the person of Jesus. I think sometimes in our communicating the gospel, we do it downside up. Ensure vision, fulfillment, and destiny is necessary for you to think in a new way. So they were open. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, verse 3, as was everyone in Jerusalem. My gosh, there's a new kid in town. Everybody's getting upset. Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said. But thus it was spoken of by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be shepherd of my people, Israel. Wow. God can take the most insignificant person and do something with him. If he is available. That's what service in the kingdom of God is all about. If you're multi-skilled, you're multi-talented, that's good. God can do something with you. But people like that are not very many. You know, I, I, I saw a post yesterday. My role models were all in prison. It started me for a minute. A Christian is putting a post. My role models were all in prison. And then I realized John the Baptist was in prison. Jesus was in prison. Paul was in prison. Silas was in prison. James was in prison. They were role models. Wow. So, so blow this myth in your mind that you got to be highly spiritual like Superman, to be used by God. Not true. That's a misbelief. And sometimes we allow the mind to feed the misbelief. Out of Bethlehem are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. That's a reality. That's a reality. That God can take the least thing Moses, what do you have in your hand? A stick. It was a staff he leaned on. God said, take it and beat the water. Stick. Yeah. When I tell you to do it, the anointing comes upon it, and when he beat the water, it parted. Joseph was humble enough to serve under Pharaoh. So in 19, as you face 2023, don't get in the same old mold of what you did in 2022. If something is not working, throw it out. John Maxwell, a right Christian writer said, you don't choose to ride a dying horse. You shoot the horse and get a new one. Your sister, I'm encouraged. If something is not working, Give it up. 
ask God to give you an alternate. He will if you let him. So the journey. Then Herod, verse 7, called for a private meeting with the wise men. And he learned from them the time when the star appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can worship him too. Wow. You know, as, as you read this very slowly and let it absorb, you begin to realize a couple of things. Number one, Herod had a destiny and a purpose too. As long as that destiny and purpose was to worship the king. But Herod allowed his inner feelings and emotions and insecurities to stand in the way of his destiny. And if there is one thing I have seen in the journey of life, of many Christians, or those who profess the Christian faith, they allow their insecurities to get in the way of their progress and stop short spiritual. In the book of Galatians chapter 5 verse 7 I think don't turn to it. Paul says you ran well what hindered you? Something happened. Offense took over. Offense seems to be so much a part of modern day culture. When you get offended and you stay offended, it neutralizes your ability to do things for God. Most sicknesses, medical people tell us, are psychosomatic. Some are psycho, some are somatic. Some are together. Most sicknesses, there goes the psycho. Look who's talking. Psychosomatic. Some people have real trouble sleeping at night. And 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 if you like, if you're one of those people, you you got to ask yourself: is, is there something that's going on in my inner life that that God is drawing attention to, so He can deal with it? And we can release that to God and we can move past. There are others. In 10 seconds, they are on another planet. They are on the moon. Not just the guys, the ladies are also like that. But there is a possibility. If you are having difficulty sleeping at night, there could be some inner emotion that needs healing. You're not a bad person. But deep down in your subconscious mind, there could be something that is triggering that. And if you open your heart to the Holy Spirit and allow God to release it, you can fulfill your destiny. Herod 
got intimidated by the fact that there was a new kid in town. Sometimes in church culture, it's like that. We pray for new people to come into church, but often we try to determine who comes in. It doesn't work like that. And when God brings people in, you feel you are going to be dislodged. And so your insecurities come to the surface and you carry an offense. And you are robbed of a blessing. That's true. I know churches that would rather close their doors and throw the key away than allow new people to come and sit in the chair I sat. In fact, 50 years ago, 40 years ago, in the, in the Roman Catholic Church, you could buy a pew and put your name on it. And once you put your name on it, nobody could sit there. We couldn't afford to buy one, so we sat anywhere we wanted. And, and, and sometimes when we were young people, young, you know, 14, 15, 16, we would, we would, three of us, four of us would get together and go and sit in somebody's pew just to upset them on Christmas morning. Wow. And they would come and the ladies would come and say, that's our pew. Ah, I'm sorry. And we would go out and have a laugh. Katya. I'm serious. New people can be unsettling. I know that. Because I was in the church like that 40 years ago. And I remember my wedding. We decided that the choir should wear choir robes. Because that was what the choir used to wear. And we had the choir director tell us, not wearing robes for your wedding. I said, it's my wedding, not yours. And I took them on. And thought, gee whiz, who would want to be in a church like that? And you know then what happened? The church transitioned, a new pastor came in. And you know, they said, you know, pastor, you can't change this church. He said, no problem. I'll build a big belfry and I'll build a cat. And he did. And the church grew. These are real life stories from real life incidents. So when we pray and ask God to bring people in, don't determine how they come in. And how long their skirt is or how short it is or whatever. Last Sunday, last Sunday I, I, I walked in there to the front door and I got a whiff of, you know what, it's legalized now I think. I said, hallelujah. Bring him in, Lord. Some of you run away. This is what we are praying for. And you know what? I went to the traffic lights at the Springfield station. And there he was there. And I gave him a coin. And he said, God bless you. And I thought, he believes in God. You, you can argue the theological thing about that. See me privately and I'll straighten you out. Out there. Smoking a pipe. So what? Those are the people that Jesus came to bring into the kingdom. Amen, sister, you're happy. That's what it is about. 
that's the message of christmas and if you and i are open to that we can meet halfway the hurt the broken the wounded and bring wholeness and healing to their lives that's why jesus came he didn't come for the righteous he came for sinful people like you and me and sometimes we forget our own sinfulness and god had to give me a, a reality check because i could have gone out there and given him a coin but i didn't because i was so absorbed with something inside here and and, and sometimes we are so absorbed with what we are doing inside here we forget the hurting the broken and the wounded who are outside there they won't come in we have to go to them that's the message of christmas you don't become a christian casualty through offense so commit to finishing well then herod had a meeting after this interview verse 9 the wise men went their way now they don't know anything that had happened about the meeting that herod had and herod is going to kill them and you know all that stuff bad things happen to good people but god is still in charge i don't know how it works i don't know how it works when when i uh, got a heart attack i said why me god god didn't answer the why me question but he said be ready for what next question i to the very best of my ability i've served god for the day i got saved and why me and then i heard a still small voice say too much pork curry that's right tell lizzy to cut down on the pork <laughs> i neglected myself and in a in a, i've been eating unhealthy unwholesome food you can still see that yeah but it's a bit better now you see your body is the temple of the holy spirit and we have to look after our bodies and we got to do healthy stuff Uh, if you don't god's not going to do it for you uh, and then god reframed my life after a period of 6 months so i learned the lesson learned it quick and i'm still pushing on i committed to finishing well so here are these wise men they were, the star that they had seen verse 9 guided them to bethlehem it went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was let me tell you one thing whatever you are going through in life god is ahead of you never behind by the way what's happened to the lines on the screen there seems to be a blackout there trust me happens every long as i don't black out god is in control of your life even though you don't fully understand it god is always one step ahead of you in the journey to destiny and
purpose even though you might be going through some experience that is unique to you right now. The Bible tells me that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. So he is worthy of my worship. And all I needed at that crisis point in life was a word from God direct and God gave it to me. Psalm 118 verse 17. I shall not die but live and declare the works of God. Wow. Can't get any specific. Then they had the star. Now we have the word. So I would encourage you to make reading the word of God a habitual lifestyle. You want guidance. You want direction. You want progress. You want to persist in your moment. Read the word. Psalmist says, my word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. God now directs through his son, Jesus. Don't allow anyone to stand in the way of your destiny once you have discovered it. Galatians 5, 7, you were running so well, who hindered you? Herod too could have discovered Jesus and worshipped him the way the wise men worshipped. But he let his insecurity get in the way. If, if, if God has a destiny for your life, big, small, middle, whatever, range, whatever, the only person that can stop that is you. Nobody else can. When God has a purpose for your life and you stay committed to that purpose and you stop looking left and you stop looking right and you stop wondering what this one is doing, Arthur is doing, Martha is doing, and, Martha is doing uh, you know, and waste your time with all that negative stuff like a lot of people do often. You're distracted from purpose. Paul had a clear understanding of his purpose. He said, my one purpose is to preach the gospel. That's why I don't even baptize people. That's not my call. Jesus said, I have son of man has come to give his life as a ransom for many. Not for one, not for two, but for many. And when you understand your purpose and you flow in your purpose, then you won't get distracted by other people's uh, talents, gifts, whatever. Because you know what you have is unique to you. And, 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 and let's be honest, we, we don't all have the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. We are limited. I know what my purpose is. And the more I walk in my purpose, the more fruitful the ministry is. Sometimes we're doing something because somebody else told us to do it. Or, you know, we got some word secondhand from somebody and we haven't tested that word. Or we've uh, listened to a podcast and tomorrow morning we think we are Billy Graham. Yeah. I got big dreams. I, I, you, you know that there is a text often quoted in Christianity, a Western Christianity. Right? There's a difference between the Eastern Christianity and Western Christianity. If God is your partner, make your plans big. That's not theological. I'm sorry to confuse you, but that's not theological. If God is your partner, make your plans big. 
John the Baptist said that and he went to prison and had his head cut off. A couple of others said the same. So if God is your partner, are you ready to get a head cut off? Come on. We, we, we just take some phrases out of context and, you know, and then we try to put them into our context and we wonder, nothing is happening. Jeremiah, the prophet, second greatest preaching prophet, teaching prophet, next to Isaiah, he preached for 25 years, only two converts. He said, God is my partner, so I am going to have big plans. It seemed like it was a failure from a modern day church growth perspective. But if Jeremiah didn't give us the book of Jeremiah, we would never have a book that can give us faith and courage in times of crisis. So sometimes the bigness of your plan may be a little differently articulated by God. Let God determine. We just keep serving continually. The, the wise men, the three wise men, they just kept serving continually. And then they went out and they went towards Bethlehem. Star went ahead. They were filled with joy. Joy in the midst of pain. Wow. That is Christian maturity. And one way or another, God will get us to come there. We don't pray for pain. But pain and suffering are part of life. Gautama, the prince, left everything he had and sat under a bow tree to resolve this key issue of suffering in contemporary thinking of his time. And then he achieved what we call nirvana. And he says, nirvana can't be explained, it must be understood. It must, uh, it, it must be experienced. Oh. And yet, there is no guarantee of the life hereafter. It's a great philosophy. And the philosophy is almost similar to the teachings of Jesus. But the element that Jesus adds is this. The gift of salvation. Through his righteous death on the cross. He transferred merit to us. Because he was sinless, he generated enough merit to transfer it to me to I can receive forgiveness and experience salvation. Salvation from a biblical perspective is a work of grace. Not by works. So I experience salvation. I can't turn back the clock. I don't have to. Because all my sins are forgiven at the foot of the cross through repentance and faith in Christ. And now I can walk in the fullness of destiny and purpose because I am free. So you have an inner freedom that comes through faith. The other thing Herod needed to understand was this. That in the kingdom of God that Jesus was espousing, it was less about position and more about purpose. Herod's kingdom was a political kingdom. 
Jesus's was a spiritual. And you might be at the highest order in power and influence in a political sense. But you can still serve under the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords if you understand purpose. The wise men went their way. Being warned by God, they returned to their own country another way. And when they came to Jesus, they brought him gold, silver, and frankincense as an expression of their newfound faith. <laughs> Gentiles, non-Christians. This is the first appearance by God to a non-Christian. So Christmas is not just for you and me to get happy and clappy. We have a great opportunity to take this faith that we have received by grace and share it with somebody who still needs to know him. Shall we? So every head bowed, every eye closed. God has spoken to your heart. Just put your hand up and put it down. I want to pray with you. Just no, nobody looking around, please. Yes, yes. Just, just for a few moments. Yes, God bless you. God is speaking to you today. You might be outside of the Christian faith. But you have an opportunity today to come to know this living Christ. Christ.